All right, so good afternoon, good new Hillary term, everybody, and uh, welcome to the first meeting of, our, of this term of the Israel Studies Seminar. I'm uh, always happy, as I think I said before, to, uh, uh, to host here uh, friends from the university who work on uh, Israel Studies. This is always a delight to see the inter-collegiate uh, 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 work on Israel Studies, and um, it's a delight in this regard also to present to you our speaker uh, today, uh, Neta Cohen, uh, who is a difficult candidate at uh, the Welcome Unit for, for the History of Medicine here at the University. She is currently a doctoral fellow at the Center of Jewish History in New York City and a research affiliate at NYU's Taub Center for Israel Studies. Also, uh, between 2014 and 2015, Neta was a fellow at the Franz Rosenzweig Minerva uh, Research Center in the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, where she researched the private papers of Heinrich Mendelssohn, a renowned zoologist and pioneer of environmental thought in Israel. And uh, not unrelated, the title of her talk today is When Climate Takes Command, Jewish Zionist Scientific Approaches to Climate in Palestine, 1900 to 1948. Neta, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Thank you all for coming. Um, I just want to say a few words before I start. Um, this, the presentation I'm going to give today is uh, part is, is actually I'm going to describe my uh, my doctoral project, uh, and this is my final year. Um, so I'm kind of approaching the last stages of editing and writing the last bits. And I'm really, really grateful for any comments, any questions, anything, because I still have uh, a chance to, to change things. And uh, so I'm very happy that you're here uh, for any feedback. So without further ado, uh, my doctoral project occupies the intersection between modern Jewish history, climate, uh, environmental history, and the history of knowledge and colonial history. It focuses on Jewish physicians, architects, and botanists as they examined the potential ramification of climate on the success of the Zionist project in Palestine between the years 1900 and 1948. In my dissertation, I explore the political, social, cultural, uh, and cultural ideas and conventions which constructed and informed professional and popular knowledge concerning climate. My dissertation is divided into five chapters. The introduction chapter generally presents modern Western scientific notions and cultural beliefs which were associated with warm climates, starting from the mid-18th century until the mid-20th century. Um, it is important to understand that the recording of weather observations as well as notions on the implications of climate on plants, animals, and humans have existed since the times of the Babylonians and the Greeks. Yet during the second half of the 18th century, they received a renewed attention. Uh, during this time, uh, uh, the increasing importance assigned to the study of climate during this period was related to the growing transportation of useful medical plants and profitable spices between the metropoles and their colonial holdings. The transfer of plants and, spe and spices led European trade companies to hire experts to study the environmental and climatic conditions required to improve crops. 
These experts were usually medical botanists, that is, physicians who served as consultant for trading companies and were responsible for both uh, bodily and botanical affairs. As a result of their double mission and double expertise, descriptions of new environments written by medical botanists tended to emphasize the role of climate, not only in relation to flora, but also in respect to the physical attributes and moral behavior of indigenous people. Historian Snaid Gissis has argued that it was during this time that the discourse on society, civility, and civilization, as found in the travel literature, collapsed into the discourse of nature. According to her, and I quote, humans became classified and visually represented along the same lines as flora. During the 19th century, information on climate was made even further widespread and it became prevalent as never before. The proliferation of climate research during this period was mostly a result of imperial technological, communicational, uh, communicational and infrastructural developments, such as the invention of the telegraph and the railway. These developments increased the mobility of data produced on climate to a global scale. According to historian Deborah Cohen and Martin Mahoney, during this time, climate research in empires was understood as the ultimate global science, both in its subject matters and its practices, as it reflected the diversity of empires of all types of climate as a sign for both heterogeneity and unity. Um, in the first chapter of my dissertation, I focus on the evolution of climate research in Palestine, as well as in other uh, destinations. Just a minute. Let's make this quiet. So in the first chapter of my dissertation, I focus on the evolution of climate research in Palestine, as well as in other destinations deliberated for Jewish colonization at the beginning of the 20th century. This chapter addresses the overall characteristics of Zionist climate research and examines the arguably colonial features of this research field. Furthermore, it scrutinizes the ways in which colonial knowledge on climate was transported to Palestine and internalized by the Zionist organization while focusing on individual colonial experts who laid the foundation for climate research in this country. Experts who were recruited for Zionist research expeditions, such as German geologist Max Blankenhorn, British Boer War veteran Major Alfred Hill Gibbons, and Swiss Orientalist Alfred Kaiser, were usually not Jewish. Moreover, according to historian Deborah Neal, the transfer of knowledge and expertise between different colonial enterprises on a global scale was in fact the norm uh, in the period between 1871 and 1914. The few Jewish experts who did profess natural sciences were usually not an exception to this international and imperial network of experts and knowledge. They too had often required their acquired their professional ex uh, experience in other colonial enterprises before serving the Zionist organization, and in some cases they retained other colonial affiliations even after becoming Zionists. 
Research expeditions and scientific excursion were common colonial means to gather practical information on natural and human condition in desirable and unfamiliar locations. Therefore, in this chapter, I also examined the ways in which different representations of knowledge on climate mirrored and and sometimes even constructed political, cultural, and social beliefs in various geographies. Uh, One example for the use of climate research as a political apparatus can be seen in the work of the Zionist research expedition to Guaznagishu in the British East Africa Protectorate, also known as the Uganda Expedition. Um, This location was offered to the Zionist organization by the British Empire and was investigated by a research commission in 1905 to determine its suitability for Jewish colonization. The three reports produced by three different commission members emphasized the importance of the country's natural conditions and rendered a distinct account of its climatic conditions. At the same time, the general content and display of data in each report, um, as well as each uh, member's interpretation and the final conclusions regarding the climatic conditions, were utterly different and in some respect even contradicting. In this context, I analyze the literary and scientific style of each report and demonstrate the ways in which climate was utilized to promote political views and cultural perceptions under the disguise of a scientific discourse. A different aspect of contemporary climate investigation included the scientific discourse of climate change uh, in which Palestine played a central role. The main controversy in this context was related to the question of whether the country had become warmer and drier since biblical times, and if so, what were the reasons for this transformation? Climate change (coughs) discourse uh, at this period reflected the centrality of the Old Testament in Judeo-Christian culture and science. In other words, the discrepancy between the imagined biblical land, the land of milk and honey, and its disappointing present reality became a central subject for scientific examination. One of the most frequent used uh, colonial methods for solving this so-called problem and for improving local climate during this period was afforestation. This is also the theme of the second chapter of my dissertation. Improving climate through afforestation was related to the Edenic image of the country in Judo-Christian tradition that, was, that should have been restored, uh, according to those who thought so. Uh, the Jewish National Fund even described the planting of trees as promoting the redemption of the land, and as some of you know the term, Geulata Aretz, reminding us yet again how the uh, environment in Palestine was charged with religious terms. The first to suggest afforestation in Palestine were, uh, in 1894 was Jacob Niego, director of Mikve Israel Agricultural School. According to him, afforestation would solve two main issues, the high price of timber in the country, as well as local climate. The improvement of climate would also have implications on the general productiveness of the country, and in particular, on its agriculture. 
In an article describing the work of the Jewish National Fund from April 1921, the importance of the forest was explained, and I quote, forests take an important role in human history since the beginning of the civilization. Um, a country that has many forests is blessed and can become an attractive settlement. This is because forests have a big impact on three principal conditions needed for a settlement. Soil, air, and water. End of quote. Uh, yet, big-scale afforestation projects during the first half of the 20th century were eventually a result of British initiative. The British were occupied with foresting um, from the moment they lay foot on the ground in Palestine. Their resources and knowledge, which accumulated and developed throughout the centuries in Kew Gardens, as well as in British col uh, colonies located in many climatic zones, boosted Zionist deforestation and enabled easy transportation of seeds from many different parts of the world to Palestine. The use of many seeds uh, from around the world uh, was also possible because, uh, because of the diverse climate um, so, sorry, because of the diverse climate reg regions in Palestine itself. Climatological accounts in this country frequently presented it as a crossroad of diverse climate re regions, which were often compared to geographical regions around the world. Following a scientific account provided to him by uh, botanist Otto Warburg, Zionist leader Theodor Herzl wrote uh, in his utopian novel, Altneuland, in 1901, and I quote, where in the world will you find um, a small country like ours with a hot, a temperate, and a cool zone so close together? In the Jordan Valley, you have a tropical landscape. Uh, by the coast, the soft beauty of the Riviera, and not far away, the snows of Lebanon, anti-Lebanon, Hermon, all lying within a few hours of each other by rail. Thus, another important consideration for planting trees um, had to be their suitability and adaptation to local climate. Yet both British and Zionist were not familiar with the original forest uh, cover of the country in the past. They did not know why the environment with its arid and semi-arid climate became the way it was, and they did not know how to go about returning, so to say, the environment to the way they, sh they thought it, should, it was like in the past. Uh, what they did know was based on knowledge um, that the British have gathered in India and in the Caribbean, Caribbeans, which linked degeneration with deforestation, a problem that was solved in these places by preserving for forests. Um, as this method was, was not applicable in Palestine because there were no, uh, not so many forests, British and Zionists planted in Palestine trees that never existed in the country before, thus radically intervening in local natural processes. The third chapter of my dissertation focuses on the role of climate in medicine. As I mentioned before, starting from the second half of the 18th century, climate was increasingly utilized to explain human physical and moral attributes. Moreover, the abstract and amorphous concept of climate enabled anchoring prejudiced belief in external elements with the support of contemporary scientific explanations. 
Lethargy, for example, was believed to be a result of prolonged exposure to the sun, and uh, excessive heat was explained as a result for the emergence of despotic regimes. The German anthropologist Johann Friedrich Blumenbach, who, was commonly referred to, who is commonly referred to as the father of racial theory, agreed that environmental factors, and especially climate, determined the physical form and complexion of people. Yet if climate had such great impact on people, then they were supposed to be able to alter their characteristics according to different climates in different places. Thus, one of the major questions during the first half of the 19th century was whether European could adapt to life in the colonies, and if so, but by what means? In other words, the medical aspects of acclimatization influenced colonial politics and settlement schemes, turning acclimatization, as Michael Osborne writes, and I quote, into the paradigmatic colonial science. Notions on climate also received various interpretations in relation to the Jewish people, Europe's internal other. However, this paradigm was soon also taken up by Jewish intellectuals themselves. Influenced by German Romanticism, some intellectuals wished to stress the organic link between the Jews and the natural conditions in Palestine. According to them, the Jewish people was created in Palestine, and thus its return to the biblical homeland would match its physical and moral nature. This rhetoric can be found in the writing of various Zionist thinkers, and it is demonstrated, for example, in the work of Russian Jewish Zionist leader Zev Vladimir Jabotinsky. In his Essay, Zionism in the Land of Israel, published in 1905, Jabotinsky aimed to explain why Palestine was the only logical destination for Jewish colonization. He wrote, and I quote, The slow and constant pressure of the natural environment, the landscape, the climate, and the flora, the, the flora and the winds of the homeland is what determines the structure of the nation's soul. When conceptualizing monotheism, we breathed the, wind of, the winds of this land. When we fought for our independence in biblical time, uh, we were surrounded by its air, which nurtured our bodies. The nation of Israel and the land of Israel are one. A different climate, a different flora, and other mountains were necessarily distort the body and the soul, which were created by the climate, the fauna, and the mountains of the land of Israel. Jabotinsky's words stress the potential regenerative uh, impact of climate. Nonetheless, following the mass immigration of Jews to Palestine, this positive approach turned into a negative one, and the unknown effects of climate on Jewish European bodies uh, generated fear of its potential dangerous implications. Zionist medical interest in Palestine can be divided into main medical branches, um, the first is tropical medicine, and the other is medical climatology. These two branches also reflected uh, the juncture between two European medical traditions emerging in this country around the same time, albeit as a result of uh, separate yet intervo interwoven historical developments. Tropical medicine concerned health issues that were associated with tropical and subtropical regions and was usually based on Mansonian medicine, typically defined as the research of vector-borne parasitic diseases. 
Starting from the 1920s, the British government implemented tropical medicine in Palestine, mainly in relation to malaria, to the swift acceptance of the Zionist medical institutions uh, and experts. Following the work of historian Joseph Hodge, I argue in this chapter that the analysis of medical discourses, their creation, dissemination, and institutional, institutionalization is important to the understand, to understanding of how British as well as Zionists viewed themselves and how they perceived the people and the land uh, that they encountered in Palestine. Specifically, tropical medicine was instrumental in the creation of a white and Western identity, as well as in defining what was not white and not Western. Another medical branch which addressed the issue of climate was medical climatology, as I said before, this, um, which concerned the physical and mental effects of climatic and weather factors on human beings and was mainly important to Palestine along with German-Jewish settlers, among many of whom were physicians during the 1920s and 1930s. Uh, in Palestine, this medical approach was more prevalent among practitioners than among official institutions, and it often focused on raising public awareness uh, of the intellectual means for the preservation of health in Palestine. Um, moreover, these physicians were preoccupied with the question of Jewish acclimatization in warm climates and with the feasibility of Jewish settlement in uh, Palestine in particular. German-Jewish physician Theodor Zlotzi, for example, explained, and I quote, We know that the body can adjust to extreme climatic situations for short periods of times, but the question of whether the body can also adjust to and transform itself accordingly during long period is unknown. Um, the central concern of physicians regarding, uh, sorry, the central concern of physicians regarded how they could assist Jewish settlers in adjusting to the summer heat. After all, acclimatization was not merely a theoretical issue. Thus, the res the, their research of this these physicians um, examined, um, I'm sorry, physicians uh, during, <laughs> Uh, in their research, physicians conducted experiments that were designed to examine whether and how climate would affect the physical and chemical nature of the body. Eventually, most physicians failed to show a significant physiological change in uh, Jewish settlers' bodies after arriving in Palestine. One physical element that was routinely examined in this context was blood pressure and its potential drop in warm climates. As physicians themselves admitted, low blood pressure was traditionally linked with the laziness and indolence of uh, inhabitants of hot countries. However, a decrease in blood pressure among Jewish settlers in Palestine could not be shown uh, in the experimental results. Another major concern for physicians in Palestine was the Khamsin. Uh, this climatic phenomenon brought dry, hot, and sandy desert winds, which were believed to cause various physical and mental pathologies. Zlotsky, uh, who I mentioned before, um, wrote more than 20 pages describing this phenomenon and its implications in his book, Climatology and Pathology in Palestine, published in 1935, uh, where he described the mental effects of Hamsins as including, 
And I quote, nervous and mental exhaustion, fatigue, irritation and nervousness, uncertainty, insecurity of memory, loss of eagerness, loss of energy, loss of capability to concentrate, loss of courage, loss of enthusiasm for work and life. Um, this brings me to the fourth chapter of my dissertation that addresses the various practical solutions which were suggested by experts to reduce the influence of climate on Jewish European bodies in everyday life. Um, these solutions were routinely discussed uh, through two central uh, spheres, the domestic sphere and the sphere of labor. Since Zionism uh, tried to break away from conceptions of traditional Jewish life, understood as depending on charity for its survival, productive work in general became an extremely important value in this society. Jewish physician Jacob Zaida, for example, reported that the most productive temperature for physical work was 16 degrees Celsius, and for mental work, 4 degrees Celsius. <laughs> Yet, accepting these conclusions would imply that the climate in Palestine was not suitable for physical work for more than six months of the year, and moreover, deeming it categorically uh, unsuitable for mental work. Zaida thus had to settle on the results of another experiment, arguing that the best temperature for such activities was not about 24 degrees Celsius. Similarly, another physician argued that according to a different research, July and August were the hardest months for laborers in the Jordan Valley. He added that this was three times truer for women, even though, as he claimed, uh, and I quote, their work was much less demanding. Um, in a further treatment of the, of the topic, Professor Strauss, director of Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem, recommended a unique Russian shirt that unfortunately I can't show you. That picture is actually kind of interesting. He recommended a unique Russian shirt that was supposed to be worn on the outside of the trousers. Uh, Strauss emphasized that it should also be worn without a belt to permit as much ventilation as possible. In addition to what he called horizontal ventilation, as enabled by the neck, armpit, and stomach area, there should be also vertical ventilation, uh, since this shirt was designed to have small uh, holes in the back. Concerns mirroring uh, those of Zionist laborers were addressed to Jewish housewives. For instance, a cookbook from 1937 entitled How to Cook in Palestine, published by the Women's International Zionist Organization, the VITO, suggested replacing the uh, so-called European fat-rich foods with local fruits and vegetables. As the author Erna Mayer explained, and I quote, cooking uh, suitable to the uh, climate must place vegetables, uh, salads, and fruits in the foreground. Physician Jacob Zeda, who I mentioned before, likewise suggested substituting the nutritional values of fats with tropical and subtropical vegetables and fruits, such as the avocado and guyava, which he described as good sources for carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals. Furthermore, the, um, the amount of water one needs to drink and the amount of sweat they produce was measure, measured and discussed in hygiene uh, guidebooks uh, for the public. 
Zyder wrote that there was no reason to limit the amount of water for a healthy child or adult during the summer's day. Um, these, uh, this is because the body is able to dispose uh, of extra water uh, but cannot adjust to the lack of water for very long. Um, however, preempting any misunderstanding, he specified the amount of water, exactly one and a half liters, as a minimum a person should drink during the summer's days in Palestine. Meteorologist Rudolf, Rudolf Feige, um, moreover, suggested the addition of cooking salt into water on hot days, since excessive sweat could leach vital bodily minerals such as sodium, calcium, and potassium. Um, in the fifth chapter of my dissertation, um, um, I address climate-adjusted architectural uh, and urban planning. Most planners and architects who arrived in Palestine during the first half of the 20th century acquired their professional training in Europe and brought with them spatial, aesthetic, and technological concepts which did not always suit the natural conditions of the country. Um, thus, alongside the ideological, aesthetic, and engineering-related concerns, architects also had to acknowledge and comply with the physical attributes of the unfamiliar landscape of the country, and they were especially concerned with the issue of climate. Starting from the 1930s, um, they devoted considerable thought to questions of hygiene and health in planning uh, residential buildings. Healthy houses, healthy streets, and healthy cities were commonly used terms in architectural uh, professional publications. In 1946, an editorial column published in the Journal for, of the Association of Engineers and Architects called upon town planners, architects, and industrial engineers to improve the climatic conditions of cities and buildings since, and I quote, it is these conditions that will determine our future in this country. The main architectural focus uh, on climate was by positioning living spaces within the flat in accordance with the prevailing winds and sun directions. The discussion of wind direction was most central to the architectural discourse, and it even led to different flat orientations in places with different topographical and climatic characteristics. Nevertheless, in this chapter, I argue that the, um, the theory and practice of Jewish architects and planners in Palestine was much more often based on European metropolitan and colonial knowledge than it was based on the study of local material and uh, building uh, techniques. To conclude, um, the Zionist approach towards the climatic and environmental conditions in Palestine was not always consistent. On the one hand, the aim to establish a settler nation was based on the belief in an autochthonous belonging to the land. This approach was more common during the turn of the century. Uh, it was influenced by romantic ideas and reflected Jewish national ideology, which contained a long tradition of reverence towards the land of Israel. On the other hand, following the actual encounter of Jewish settlers with the natural realities in Palestine, and especially, especially after the establishment of the British Mandate and the emergence of the Arab-Jewish conflict in this country, discussions on climate gradually lost their romantic attributes and became increasingly associated with colonial scientific ideas on the perceived degeneration, uh, dangerous implications of non-temperate climates on European bodies and minds. 
In my dissertation, I argued that Zionist scientific preoccupation with, with climate was not simply because Palestine was particularly cold or hot, Rather, it was deeply grounded in a wide colonial discourse of anxiety about radically different climates in the colonies, uh, and it relied upon Western knowledge and expertise to confront and ameliorate the so-called enervating influence of climate on European bodies. By adopting the colonial scientific paradigm concerning warm climates, Jews in Palestine became concerned with the alleged degenerating effects of the new environment uh, and even began perceiving themselves as Occidental people arriving in an Oriental geography. Thus, through the prism of climate uh, investigation, I explore not only the ways in which experts transported scientific knowledge from Europe and its colonies to Palestine, but also how climate, both as an abstract concept and a concrete condition, shaped Jewish national racial, cultural, and spatial identity in Palestine. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.